Um, today's daf is Chavtet 29, and uh, the last daf of the third parak. So we pick up um, just a little bit uh, behind about on Chavtet Amudbet. Amar Shmuel. It's about uh, ten lines before the lines get wide. The line starts with the word. Um, actually, no, the line before that. So it starts with the word with uh, Yehuda there. So let me just say one thing. We have been discussing what? I'm sorry? Yes. You have that? Yes, sir. What? Yes. Lotricha, right. Um, well, that, that's the line above it. Correct. I mean, yeah, that's the line. Then it's Amar Yehuda, yes. So. Um, so let me just um, wrap up what we said yesterday because it's a very important discussion. We had the whole issue about Rebbe Yehuda, not Rabbi Yehuda, Rebbe Yehuda, who's of the position that you not only can you do things that are directly involved in the food preparation, like making the fire and cooking, but you can even do machshire ochel nefesh, things that are uh, preparatory, which would basically mean like one stage removed, particularly here, the issue about sharpening knives and... Um, doing, um, you know, uh, uh, fixing an oven, doing things that are preparatory to the food preparation and not directly part of it. And even Machiri Elchonef, he allows, um, and as long as it was you could not do it the day before, which is an interesting criteria, something we normally expect on the Dura Banan, but here it sounds like Deal Raita. That Deal Raita, if you could have done it the day before, because, meaning based on your time or when the problem appeared and so on, then it is biblically forbidden to do that on but if you could not have done it the day before, then it's biblically allowed. So um, that is a very significant additional allowance in terms of things relating to food preparation. Now, do we rule like Rebbe Yehuda? The upshot of the Gemara sounds very much like we do rule like Rebbe Yehuda, that you are allowed to do machshire ochonefesh, that you were ifshar However, the Gemara a little bit equivocates because of this idea of halacha ve'en that you might not want to publicize this because it is very easy for people to, once they allow, you allow this, they'll come to allow cases even when it was possible to have taken care of it the day before. But that's basically the principle of Rebbe Yehuda, and that's basically the psak of the halacha, is that even machshire, even machshire ochel nefesh, even preparatory things, you can, that you could not have done the day before you are allowed to do. However, there's one important qualification, and that's what I wanted to end with before we pick up with today's stuff, which is that we have all this discussion in the Gemara about sharpening knives, where sharpening knives is allowed, but you do it in a slightly different way. You don't do it on the classical whetstone. You do it on some other type of a thing, on a basket, on, on wood, etc. But sharpening wise is allowed, but fixing lot knives presumably um, would be a problem. If it says if it's got, you know, if it's really not able to cut at all and you make it able to cut, then that would be a problem. So what is that additional problem? Um, that, what's going on here? Um, so Rashi says, you know, to fix it from not being able to cut at all to being able to cut is too much tircha, too much effort, or maybe uvda dechol, something of that nature. And that's why you need these shinuyim and that's why there are certain limits. But it's important to note that the Ran and other shown him say differently and they say that even according to Rebbe Yehuda that you can do machshire ochel nefesh you cannot do it to make a cleave from scratch 
you cannot basically say, oh, well, I don't have any knives. Let me go and I'll make molten, le- uh, you know, uh, uh, metal and I'll pour it into a mold and I'll make a knife. Fanyantif. Like that you can't do. You can fix something that's been dulled, but you cannot make something what's considered to be making it from scratch. Even that Reb Yehuda would limit. And the cases here, like if it can't cut at all, or the cases of using a classic whetstone or whatever, those would be cases which would get into the category of, of being like making it from scratch, like making it and not just fixing it. Now, why is that a problem? So what the Ron explains is, he says, it's similar to the reason why you're not allowed to go out to your fields and harvest your wheat and grind your wheat and make flour. Right? Why can't you do that? So remember, we've discussed that. Why can't you go and catch fish and hunt on Yontif? And the basic answer is that things that are not immediately in the context of the cooking, immediately in the context of, you know, sort of getting it from the store and cooking it in your kitchen that are more long-term, you know, types of issues that are not made in the immediate process of cooking, that is not allowed. That's not in the context of Ochel Nefer. So the same way you can't go harvest your wheat, you can grind pepper, but you can't grind wheat into flour because one is in a context of cooking you do in the kitchen and the other is in the context of something you do for large scale and long term. So the same is true with your knife. If your knife is dulled, you can sharpen it. But to take something that's in this category of not being a knife anymore and make it into a knife, well, that's like making things in the, in, you know, in the factory. And that's something that is not allowed. So bottom line is, and that's a very important distinction, that we basically rule like Rebbe Yehuda, that machiri ochal nefesh that you could not do the day before are allowed to be done on Yantev, although there's an issue about how much you publicize that, but it draws a line at basically like making a cleave from scratch because that would sort of be like going out and harvesting your wheat. So I'll just tell you a practical application of that, which is the question about opening bottle caps. I don't open bottle caps on uh, Shabbos because, you know, I, uh, we won't go into the whole thing, and I probably, it's probably a crazy chumr at this stage based on what I now know about how plastic bottle caps are made. Okay, but anyway, because there's an opinion that when you make the bottle cap and you, and you break off the ring that surrounds it, you've made it functionally into a kli. Until that point, it could only keep the bottle sealed. But once you break it off, you now make it functional in a new way. Now it can go on and off of the bottle, and it's not just sort of keeping the bottle sealed and could be used in other bottles that it could be before fine. Do I open bottles on Yantiv? And the answer is yes. But, because, you know, I mean, you can cook on Yantiv. Of course, you know, this chumr that I've got is not opening bottle caps, so I'm going to do it on Yantiv. It's about, you know, being able to drink. And it's, it's, it's really like because we all know that if you open the bottle on air of Yantiv, the soda diffuses, right? <laughs> so, anyway, so the question is, though, but I had this whole quantity, like, why am I allowed to do that? Because if, according, if we are saying that making a clee from scratch is, you know, is something that even Reb Yehuda wouldn't allow, you know, ma- fixing a clea, yes, but making a clea, no. Well, if I think it's making a clea, I think it's making a clea. But I do say, but I think that, you know, in the end, the idea that the Ron speaks about, about is this something that's in the natural sort of immediate sense of making the food and using the food and so on. <laughs> or something that more is like long-term, this might technically be an Asiyah's Kli, but it's an Asiyah's Kli that comes in the context of immediate access to the food. So I don't really think that it is, um, you know, that it would fall into that problematic category, even for those like myself that are mocking and don't open bottle caps um, on Shabbos. Okay, but that is an interesting issue about um, about Machile Ochel Nefesh and not allowing really making a Kli from scratch when it becomes completely non-functional and making it functional 
functional, that would not be allowed. Let's now pick up with the wrap-up of this, which ha- gets us back to a muksa discussion. So, Amar Rebbe Yehud Shmuel. Says Rebbe Yehud HaMar Shmuel. Shavud Shetzalu Basar. If you have a spit that was used to roast meat on Yantiv, you can no longer move it on Yantiv because now it's become disgusting. So it's like Muktzamachmas Mius. So even though before it was completely mutter, now you've made it completely disgusting and it's, and it's Muktzam. What you'll do is, after you take the meat off, you basically just, like, uh, push it off into a, co- into a, a corner. Rashi says the word shomto is like maybe you drag it, you don't directly pick it up with your hand, you kick it off into a corner. And even that is only if there's still a uh, kezayis worth, an olive's worth of meat on it, then it's not completely muktza because of the meat that is still on it. Okay, if that's true, though, you wonder why you have to, uh, as Rashi says, kick it, although, again, that aspect of kicking it is not explicit in the Gemara. Ravina Amar, even if it does have no meat on it, you can move it. I agree that it's disgusting, but I'm still giving you an allowance to move it. Why? Like the same way that if you have a, uh, like a, a dangerous shard, you know, like a nail, a rusty nail in Rishus Harabim, you're allowed to pick it up and move it so that people don't get hurt by it. So here, too, um, you know, you have a, a spit that's, uh, you know, a sharp piece of metal. You're allowed to move it as well even if it doesn't have meat on it and even if it's disgusting. Now, you could have also said that if it's really, truly disgusting, it has another allowance. The other allowance of moving muktza is something called garif shel ri'i, which is basically like a bedpan that, you know, if you had the things which basically you, you know, you, you use to go to the bathroom in, um, so that's real muktza, it's real disgusting. On the other hand, what, we're supposed to leave it around the house and smell up the house on Shabbos and Yontem, so there was a specific allowance to remove it. So the Gemara could have gone that direction here as well, but maybe it just looks disgusting but is not actually smelly or something. All right. Oh, we just did that. Um, okay. So this idea that you can kick it or move it into a corner was said in the name of So he said there are three teachings. Basically, there are, there's a Rav Malkio and a Rav Malkia. Okay, and so easy names to get confused. And each of them made sort of three comments on three different cases, and you'll get confused who said which of the, you know, who said which three. So he's going to give you a little way to remember which, which one said which of these three. So the statements about the shvud, about the uh, spit, that if it uh, gets disgusting, you can still move it to a corner. Um, that's, um, this is, that's Rav Malkia, as we said. Shvud, uh, where are we? Uh, I just lost my place. Um, Shvachot. Uh, Shvachot is the case about um, the mission discusses um, when a woman gets married based on how much property and slaves that uh, she brings into her marriage, what work she's expected to do around the house. So is there, can you, there get to be a stage where she has so many maidservants that she doesn't have to do any work in, in the house? And, the, um, and uh, to which, you know, Rav Malkio commented that we rule like... So Rabbi Eliezer says, no, even if she's, you know, she has all these other maidservants to do work, she shouldn't do nothing because, you know, to, be, to have no work to do, you know, what is it, idle hands are the devil's handiwork or whatever. It's not good to be completely, you know, to, to, have, to, have, to, to do no work during the day. So, and, Rabbi, and Rav Malkia says, we rule like Rabbi Eliezer. So the ruling like Rabbi Eliezer in that Mishnah, that's Rav Malkio. Um, I lost my place again. Um, oh, the Gumot. 
Kumod is a point about um, if you're looking at pubic hairs um, and the pubic hairs are supposed to grow from like little indentations, you know, in the skin is where um, the hairs grow fr- um, from. And he says that if you see the, the, the indentations, um, we, even if you don't see the pubic hairs, you can assume that the pubic hairs were there in terms of determining if somebody is an adult um, or not, okay, a young boy or girl. So those three statements were said in the name of Rav Malkio. Blorit, which now, this is another series of statements. Blorit is a way of cutting hair that would be done um, um, particularly in a pagan and a votizara way. Um, And there was a discussion about, you know, when you get, so Rav Malkia says when you get within three finger widths of where the hair would be cut that way, you have to stop cutting. Um, so that's blorit. Aether mikleh, which is like ashes, burnt ashes. And here's an issue about you're not allowed to put burnt ashes on a wound because it'll get the, 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 the it'll sort of stain the skin and it'll look like uh, tattooing. And gvina, which is the question about why is it that we're not allowed to eat the cheese made by non-Jews. And that was, an, and, and, and Rav Malkia, so all of those were Rav Malkia. Rav Malkia explained them um, in those three statements. Okay, so now you know which three are Rav Malkia and which three are Rav Malkia. Rav Papa Armor, Masnitsin Masnitsa Rav Malkia, no. Anything that relates to a mission or Brisa, quote it, you know, explaining it or postulating like a particular opinion, that's Rav Malkia. Shmaitita, anything that's an Amoraic statement, that's Rav Malkio. Okay? Now, how do you remember that? The Simancha, the way to remember it is, Masnisin, Malkisa, the, the Tanitic statements, the Mishnah and the Braithas, those are the queens, those are like, you know, those are more important, those are the heads, as opposed to the Amoraic statement. Of course, it's so funny, there are two names, Malkia, Malkio, how are you supposed to remember that the, that the Mishnah is Rav Malkia? But anyway, I guess Malka, like a queen, and Malkia, I don't know. Anyway, my binayu, now what's the difference if you split it up based on Mishnah Brisa versus Amoraic statements? You can be now Shvachot, which one you sort of, you attribute the case about the maidservants to, which switch based on his organization of Mishnah and Brisa. We won't work it through the details. Now you know who's Rav Malkia and who's Rav Malkia. Moving on, okay? But that's the end of the discussion about the issue about the uh, spit, but as I said, also the very important discussion of Rabbi Yehuda's position about, um, about Machshire Ochel Nefesh. Next Mishnah. Now we get back to purchasing, and the rest of this um, parak will be so, uh, focused on exactly this issue that we've introduced, which is ways of getting purchasing um, the foods that you need on Yantiv if you did not take care of it um, from before Yantiv, but in a way that's not a problem of Uta the Chol, um, or too much of a sense of commerce and purchase. The person should not say to a butcher, Give me a dollar's worth of meat, or ten dollar's worth of meat, you know. You don't pay him the money, but don't describe the amount of meat you want in terms of how much it costs. That's too much like purchasing on Yantiv. He shakes it and he gives you a portion and you'll work it out afterwards. Now that's not so helpful. What do you mean you give a portion? How much do you figure out how much you're going to owe him? So that's what the Gemara asked. Hey, Chiyavid, what do you do? Kihad besura, like in Surah, top of Chosteramad Aleph, Amri, Tarmata Upalgu Tarmatarta. They, they speak about a, a, a particular cut, and they'll call it, like, the cut, uh, Rashi says these are very well-identified cuts of the meat. It's interesting, because I wonder if you could have said that these are also, like, um, weights um, or sizes, but Rashi says these are cuts of the meat, like, you know, this... Um, 
like the flank, you know, or a rib. So in, in Surah, they'll describe it as a tarta or a half a tarta. In Narsh, Amri Chalka Upalgu Chalka. Rashi says this is describing the same cut of meat. They'll call it like a chalik or half a chalik. So again, these are different ways of describing all the same thing. What is that thing? Again, Rashi says we're talking about very specific types of cuts of meat. And then afterwards, you'll figure out how much of that cut of meat, presumably also there's a, there's a predefined size, weight to that meat, like, you know, um, which is why I thought that it maybe meant a more of a, um, more of, of, of a measure than of a cut. I don't know, do they say in the Shines also in the article any other suggestion, like whether it means, you know, whether these things are, 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 are weights or measures or whether they're actually, Rashi says it's like a cut, like a rib. Like a standard cut. He just quotes Rashi. Yeah, I don't know if Steinzaltz, if you, does Steinzaltz quote anything interesting from the uh, Aramaic or any, uh, any other possible read? Anyway, it's either a standard cut or it's a standard size. So, but you do not talk about give me X amount dollars worth of meat. Now we finish this up with this next Mishnah, which is similar type of a discussion. Okay? And the next two Mishnayot, the rest of the parak will be a similar discussion. Omer Adam Lechavero, a person can say to his friend, now you're not going to the storekeeper. You're going to your friend, but you still want to, you know, when you go to your friend and you say, can I have like, uh, you know, I need, I need two eggs. So sometimes, you know, I think most of us nowadays, you give them two eggs, you don't expect to get it back. But, you know, there are times when people don't, you know, can't afford that. So sure, I'll be happy to give you two eggs, but I'm expecting to get the eggs back afterwards. So now you're going to your friends for some food on Yantuv, but you're going to have to give it back. How do you determine how much they've given you? So two eggs is easy, but how about flour? So you say, can I have a cup of flour? Well, are you allowed to measure a cup of flour? You're not allowed to measure on Yantuv, right? On Shabbos and Yantuv, you're not allowed to do medida, measurement. Okay, and also, A, measurement in general is forbidden, even as measuring your own flour. And number two is, in getting it from your friend, does that also make it too much again, like a type of a mekachu memkar, when you're being very specific about the amount. So there's A, just measurement in general, and B, the transactionary nature of this. So let's take a look. Omer Adam Lechavero, you can say to your friend, you know, let me have, a, let me have, fill up for me this vessel of flour um, on Yantav, and implicitly I'll pay you back after Yantav. Of a low bimida, but you cannot have a specific quantity, meaning you can't say I want a cup of flour, but you can bring over something and say, fill this up for me. Rabbi Yehuda Omer, If it was a vessel used for measurement, you should not fill it up. Now that sounds exactly like we said a minute ago, so the Gemara will try to understand what subtle difference there is between the first statement and Rabbi Yehuda's statement. There's a story of Abba Shal ben Butnis, So here, apparently, he wasn't just like a neighbor, he was actually a storekeeper, um, and he would fill up, you know, a cup worth of flowers, or whatever it was, you know, a gallon, gallons worth of wine, or whatever the measurement was, before Yantav, so all the measuring would be done before Yantav. And then somebody came to the store and they wanted a bower flower, he gave them a cup. Right, but they'd already been pre-measured before Yantav, you know, or he gave them a bottle of, well, bottle of wine is too easy, but whatever, he gave them a container of wine. 
but it had already been pre-measured before Yantav. And then, you know, again, they would pay back afterwards. Abashol Omen, Abashol says, again, this presumably is different, not the Abashol Ben Buttonis. You would do it even on Cholomoed because that you would pre-measure from the night before because of the Beirure Midas, which means sort of the like um, imprecision of the measuring because when you pour, let's say, wine, you know, it bubbles and if you wait for it to settle, you'll get a much more precise measure. So he would measure from the night before, even if it wasn't Yatav, even on Cholomoed, because he wants to make sure that he's giving the people exactly the amount that they had asked for, so he wanted to wait for it to settle. Now the question is, what does that have to do um, with Cholomoed? Um, so let's take, which is the next statement in the Gemara. The And would say, even in a weekday, you should measure things out from the day before, because of Mitsuimidos, which is a similar idea to Beirure Midos. Raji says the difference is, one is, like I said, if you're measuring, let's say, wine, there are like airs and bubbles, and you want to wait for it to settle. The other is, if you're measuring oil, so it'll, maybe, you know, you have your container has exactly the right amount of oil in it. It's got whatever it is, one, uh, what, would, what would you say, ounce or whatever, of oil. But then when you want to pour it into the person who, the other person's, you know, vessel, it's going to take like an hour for all of the oil, oil to come out. So he said what you should do is the night before, if you really want to be honest, if somebody's going to buy, you know, wants to buy from you a cup of oil, you say, leave your vessel over and you'll come back tomorrow and pick it up and then you turn, you know, your pre-measured amount in and you wait the whole night for it to slowly drip out so you give him exactly what he was purchasing. Um, okay, now why exactly, if those are the concerns of the last two statements, why exactly it mentions Cholomoed is not clear now, but it will be clarified, in, right, obviously then it should be even in the weekday, which is the last statement, so that will be clarified in the Gemara. Let's take a look in the Gemara. My Avalobimida, what is this debate between the Tanakama who says you cannot borrow with measurement, and that Yehuda says if it's a vessel used for measuring, don't fill it. Sounds like the exact same. So my Avalobimida, what does it mean not to measure according to the Tanakama? You cannot use a vessel that has been designated and has already been used for measuring. Like a measuring cup. But let's say it's a vessel that could become used for that purpose. Like you have something that is, you know, um, exactly the right size. And if your current measuring cup breaks, you'll have this other vessel, you'll use this as your new measuring cup. But you haven't used it for that yet. Okay, and again, it's not like it's gotten, you know, marks along the edge, so, you know, it's already, you know, I, I clearly a measuring cup. It's something that could easily be used as that, but has yet to be used for that. That you can do if it hasn't yet been used for that purpose and it's not yet identified as such. The Asa Rebbe Yehuda and Rebbe Yehuda is coming along and say, You can't even use a vessel that would eventually serve that purpose. That's already too much like measuring and too much like, you know, type of uvde dechol, especially maybe for yourself you can do it, but not when you're borrowing from your friend. That's already too clearly defining how much, the exact amount that you're borrowing, and that's too much like business and transaction. Okay, so that's the debate. Whether you can use this vessel that has yet to be used for measuring, but that's how it, it can serve. Um, Alma says, okay, if we frame it that way, what would emerge is, regarding Simchus Yantav, now it's very nice that Gemara says this, right? All along, we've had all of these leniencies of ways you can 
buy food on Yantiv without actually buying it as long as you're sensitive to Uvda Bechol issues. And we've been saying that it's an extension of the way the Torah allows, um, you know, Ochel uh, Nefesh, allows you to do things relating to food and cooking or whatever. The rabbis also allow you to do a certain amount of business, you know, purchasing relating to food as long as you don't do it in a too blatant way and in an Uvda Bechol way. So the Gemara here articulates that allowance to do things related to cooking and food by the words Simchas Yom Tov. Which, okay, that's pretty obvious, but it's nice to have that type of identification that that's what it's about, why we want you to be able to cook. And actually, it's worth noting that Ramban says, it's not incidental, Ramban says, why is it that the Torah gives you more allowance on Yantav than on Shabbos? Why are you allowed to cook on Yantav? Why does the Torah allow you to do that? So maybe you could say, well, you know, Shabbos is, is, is so holy, you know, it's whatever, it's mysebracious and so on. It has higher degree of holiness, and that means more things are forbidden. But the Ramban says, well, the, actually, the reason that the specific allowance on Yantav is around areas of cooking is because of Simcha's Yantav. Since the idea of Simcha is central to Yantav, right, and that's not a central idea by Shabbos, so the Torah wants to make it as possible as uh, you know, possible as, 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 as you know, as, as you know, give you as much opportunity to have that joy, which means making it easier for me to cook and prepare food on Yantiv itself. So it's interesting to note that that idea of Simchas Yantiv as an allowance for food preparation is what the Ramban says is behind why the Torah allows you to prepare food on Yantiv. And here the Gemara is using that phrase of Simchas Yantiv to explain why you're allowed to do certain degree of purchasing. Of of food. Okay? So, let, so let's keep on going. But again, so that's just key that the way the Gemara frames it is by that word Simchus Yantav. Alma says the Gemara, you see that Rabbi Simchus Yantav, Rabbi Yehuda Luchom, Rabbi Yehuda, even though it's an issue of getting food on Yantav and the type of buying food and it's about Simchus Yantav, Rabbi Yehuda's going to be a little bit stricter. He won't let you use a vessel um, even if it has yet to be used as a measuring vessel. Rabbi Yehuda will be strict, Rabban Lukul, and the rabbis will be lenient. So the Gemara says, one minute, we just heard in an earlier Mishnah that the, the reverse non the Mishnah te- teaches that if you come to getting meat from the butcher Rabbi Yehuda allows you to use the, uh, the uh, balance scale if on the other side you don't put six weights but you put like you know a, you know like a hatchet or some other vessel um, you can't use the balance at all so there's the opposite same type of a concern how can you get a, how can you get you know food on Yantiv and Rabbi Yehuda is more lean it gives you more latitude and the rabbis are more strict so the Gemara says so there we see that Rabbi Yehuda was more lenient in terms of getting food on Yantav and the rabbis were strict so it's a contradiction of both of their positions um, so the Gemara says Rabbi Yehuda is not contradicting himself Hossam over there when it comes to using the balance scale, the At the end of the day, if you're using a hatchet on your balance scale, you're clear that's something that clearly is never used in the context of measuring. And therefore that makes that whole transaction to be bizarre and not about a normal way of purchasing. Well, but hacha Right. Okay, and the scale itself, he would say, is, you know, counterbalanced, <laughs> you know, is reframed by the use of this vessel that is so okay. bizarre. But hacha, but here, he says, 
Ba'omid Lamida. But here, um, the, the, the vessel is something that is, that is, would normally be used. Maybe you haven't used it yet, but it's the normal type of a vessel that would be used when you measure and when you purchase. So there's nothing sort of visual, you know, and obvious about the transaction here that makes it look different from the normal way you would do a transaction. Because you're using a type of a vessel that you would normally use. There, you're using a hatchet to weigh on a scale. It's clearly a different type of a thing. So that's why he could switch his position. And the rabbis and the rabbis are also not difficult. There you are doing like you do during the weekday. And Rashi says, like you were saying, Dove, that you're using a, uh, you're using a scale. The very use of the scale makes it clear that this is an act of measuring. Whatever you put on the other side of the scale. And here you're not doing it because you're not using something. So on the one hand, you're using a hatchet there, but you're also using a scale. And the scale is clearly earmarked for, you know, type of transaction purposes. It's a business um, object. Whereas here, you're using an object that has yet to be used in the context of sale. You know, it's not yet been put to that type of use, so therefore it is going to be allowed, which basically means, and it's an, in, it's an important point, you know, we sometimes tend to oversimplify and say, oh, so-and-so is a make-ill, you know, he's very lenient, don't go, you know, this person's a big machmir in terms of psach. But, you know, sometimes it's not about being make-ill or being machmir. It's about these particulars of the case. I'll look at one case and these specific particulars are going to tell me, I don't think you can do that on Yantiv. And I'll look at another and it's all about, you know, buying and going and getting something from the store. But the exact particulars to me may seem like it's too weak, to, it makes it too much like a weekday activity. Another case, I'll make a judgment that'll be stricter than somebody else because in my judgment, this other case makes it too much like a weekday activity. Somebody else doesn't think that, but I do think that. So you can really have different positions on cases based on the circumstances and you're not generally across the board make your machmer. Like some people think like the Chazonish, oh, he's a big machmer, he's machmer and everything. I could show you dozens of cases where the Chazonish is makeo because that's just the way he reads the sugi and it comes up to a more lenient position than other people read it, you know, but uh, each case deserves its own judgment. Yes. I want to go back to that Ramban for a moment. Is there a conceptual difference between Simchat Yom Tov and Oneg Shabbos? Yes, so um, Oneg is much more, it's a good point, you know, Oneg, first of all, oh, first of all, Oneg is from the Nevi'im, it's not in the Torah, okay, so obviously it wouldn't factor in to have that same degree of weight, Simcha is in the Torah. Oneg is more about physical pleasure, Simcha, joy, is different, like, you know, the Gemara first says that the true Simcha is bringing Korbanot, but it's a more, you know, a state of elation, and, you know, and it's not just the reality of pleasure, um, so, um, you know, that possibly is the issue here. I mean, why, why does cooking on Yantif bring more simcha? So it could just mean that the food is fresher. You don't have to cook it before and then keep it on the warming plate. You can, you know, eat fresher. And then you are right. It's more of an issue of oneg than it is of simcha. It's more pleasurable. That's true. But it also could be just giving me that allowance, that freedom, you know, to type of cook or whatever. It just makes the day more about enjoying myself and more about, like, simcha than it does about, you know. So it does, it, it does more than just increase the sense sensory, you know, pleasure that's involved. But it's a good point, you know, um, that, that Oneg is also a relevant factor to food. It's a pretty directly relevant factor to food. Okay, so let's now continue. Okay, so that's one way of reading it. Whether it's a vessel that's been used for this purpose or not, and they might reverse their position or their leniencies and stringencies because of the specifics of the case. Rava Amar, Rava says, my um, what does this mean in the Mishnah? Don't use it with measure. So Rava says what I think is probably an easier read of the Mishnah. That 
not talking about what vessel you're using. Don't go to the, your friend and say, can I please have three ounces, a half a cup of flour? Don't explicitly mention the measure amount. Okay? Like before we said don't measure the money to give me $2 worth of meat. Here, this is, would seem less of a problem, but don't mention the exact measurement. Give me a half a cup of flour. That's what the Chachamim are saying. But you can actually use a vessel that is designated for it. So I can go with my measuring cup, right, from my kitchen, which clearly is a, a cup's worth of flour, right? And I could go with, you know, or, or, you know, one of those like, individual things that's a cup. And I go, could you please fill this up for me? That's okay. You could use a measuring cup. But you can't say, I need a cup of flour. Okay, that's what Rava says. In one way, it's more obvious that you are being precise and measuring than the other way. That's what the Tanakhama says. And then Rebut is going to be more strict, and he's saying, because this makes sense, because Rebut specifically emphasizes the vessel. Don't fill up a, ve- a measuring vessel. So for him, even if you don't say, I need a cup of flour, if you're bringing over a measuring cup, then you can't fill it up. Now the Gemara is going to go through the exact same thing. Oh, now according to your read, Rebbe is being strict, even though it's about enjoying Yantav, getting food for Yantav. Because Rebbe won't even allow you to use the measuring cup even without mentioning the amount. So we heard the opposite, that non-Rebbe Yudah, may show a lot of buster, can I get a kli, or can I get a kupi, you're allowed to weigh meat on a scale against a vessel or against some type of a hatchet. You can't use the scale at all. Alma, you see when it comes to getting a hold, uh, to getting food for Yantiv, Rebbe Yudah is lenient and the rabbis are strict, the opposite of what you said here. So they're reversing, they're contradicting themselves in one mission to the next. So the Gemara says, Rebuda, Rebuda, Lokashen. No, Rebuda is not contradicting himself. One case strict, one case lenient. It's not a contradiction. Like we said before, when you use the hatchet on the scale, you're using something that is never used in the context of measuring. So therefore, it clearly makes that a not normal transaction and a non-business type of transaction. Here, even if you don't say a cup of flour, you're giving the person a measuring cup. So it looks like a normal type of a transaction. So here we're going to be more strict. And the rabbis go the reverse. There you're using a scale, which is very much a business type of a, you know, of a, uh, of, a of an instrument, and therefore it is feels very much like a weekday activity. Here, even though you're giving somebody your your you know your measuring cup, it doesn't make it like this weekday business activity. Why not? People will bring over a uh, wine in a measuring cup and they'll drink it. Like I know you know I want to go over to your house and I want to bring over some wine and we're going to drink together and I'll bring it over not in a bottle but I'll bring it over in a vessel that I would normally use for measuring sometimes those things do double duty right so since I sometimes will bring over something just as a way of conveyance and I'll use a measuring cup not necessarily as a way of measuring but sometimes it'll do double duty and I'll use it as a way of giving you something giving something to my friend here too you come to my house you'd say you'd like some flour I give you a I, I, I measure I, I, you know I scoop it up in a measuring cup and I give it to you, it doesn't necessarily look like we're doing a transaction. I gave you exactly a cup of flour and you're going to owe me for it. Maybe it's just a vessel that I used to give you something. Okay, but if I say, here's a cup of flour, I explicitly label it, that makes it already like a transaction.
action. Okay, so again, it's clear that the issue here is we allow something that implicitly is going to be paid back and is going to be purchased afterwards, but we can't too obviously label it as a type of a transaction and business exchange um, on Yuntav. And exactly what particulars will mean that is it used about explicitly labeling something or visually something being different and so on. That's somewhat of what's being debated between Reb Yehuda and the Rabbanan. Okay, let's take a look now with this other issue which gets us away from the Yuntav concerns. So first, Abishol ben Batnis would fill up his, uh, you know, his vessels of wine and flour, whatever, before Yontav, as exactly now, somebody would come to borrow, he'd give them the vessel, you know, he'd know exactly how much without necessarily doing any of the measuring on Yontav, or mentioning any names of measuring, you know, any names of measurement. Tana, so the Gemara moves beyond that and gets to now the non-Yontav aspect. He would even do this on the Moed. Because it would lead, he didn't want to be out of the base Medrash. So on Chol Moed, he had more time to be sitting and learning, and other people had more time, and they would be asking him Shilohs, and he wanted to be very free for people in terms of learning. So if people, but he also had to run a store. You know, like they tell the stories of like the Chavetz Chaim, right? He had like this store. So what he would do is, he wanted to have, he would use nighttime when people weren't asking him learning questions to get everything ready in the store and to pre-fill up all the measurements. So if anybody wanted something, he'd have it ready to give to them and he wouldn't have to waste time and he could spend his time during the day in the base medrash and doing the learning. Okay, so that's what, so that's, so, so, so that's why he mentioned specifically Cholomoed and it, according to this, it wasn't an issue of not cheating people and having the exact amount, but it was the issue of just not wasting time during the day. It sounds also that this is, that it's saying that the Abishol of the Mishnah who, who said the second statement um, is the same as the Abishol Ben Botnis. I don't know. I didn't get a chance to look it up, but it seems reasonable that, the, that we're saying it's the same one. Okay, so now the Gemara says like this. Tana Rabbanan, a rabbi's talk. So now we're going to see that there is an issue here, not just about having time to, le- to learn on Yantiv, but also not cheating people. It says what he would do is he would, after he gave, measured out for people the wine, you know, there would be a little bit that would be the difference. Like again, if I pour you a, um, if I have a, um, like, um, if I pour into your vessel, um, and your vessel, like, has marks, let's say, at, one, at the one liter mark, and I pour wine into your vessel, it's going to hit the one liter mark um, right now. But if we wait five minutes for it to settle, it'll be a little bit less. Okay, but normally in the business, nobody has that time. We're not waiting five minutes. Presumably, you're mochel. You know, you fill it up. You know, of course, when you all get, well, I don't know about you, me, when I go to get soda at the, uh, you know, from the fountain, right, at the, at the movie theater, wherever it is, you know, you, you know, you wait, give it a minute to settle, then fill it up some more, right? But, but anyway, here, presumably, it wasn't. I mean, the wine's a lot more expensive than soda, but anyway, presumably, it wasn't that big of a difference, and people wouldn't want to wait. So it would, he understood they would be mochel, but I would fill up your thing, and, um, and in the end, um, there'd be extra left over in my vessel because I hadn't really fully filled it up because it looked like it was full, but it wasn't full. And by the end of the year, he had collected, again, this is an exaggeration, 300 barrels of wine or whatever, 300 flasks of wine from the leftover wine that people, you know, that, that, that he did not fill up of people's measure. It's sort of like, you know, the whole issue about the rounding error in banks. 
you know, somebody, you know, what happens when the bank figures out your interest and it's less than a penny? Who gets that less than a penny? So the bank would always keep it for, for themselves. And then somebody, this was a whole story, whatever, somebody, you know, computer programmer who was working for the banks basically found a way to funnel that money into like his own Swiss bank account. You know, and everybody, every person's little half penny over every time the bank computed the interest turned into millions of dollars. Okay, so that's what happened here. Everybody's little half penny that he didn't fill up the exact amount. In the end, it was 300 barrels or flasks worth of wine. Again, it's probably an exaggeration. But let's take a look at how it goes on. The Chazerov seems to show us meos garvechem and midos. And as I said, the other problem is if you're giving oil, you pour it out, but like you'd have to wait all, like hours for all the oil to come out of the measuring vessel. So I have an exact liter of oil here. I'm going to pour it into your vessel. We're not going to sit around waiting all day for it all to come out. Okay, so there's going to be some that I'm going to keep to myself at the end. And by the end of a year or a few years, there was 300, you know, flasks of oil left over that I had because I didn't give it to the people, you know, technically it really was deserving to them. So what did they do with this? They felt guilty about it. So they, rather than moving it into a Swiss bank account, what did they do? They brought it to the officers of the temple in Yerushalayim. And Amrulam, they said, so, the te- so they wanted to give it, you know, give it away. They didn't want to keep it to themselves. So Amrulam, so these uh, officers, you know, the uh, treasurers said to them, yeah, you're being very firm, but there's no need. Like, people are mochel, it's all understood. Amulaim, so they said back to the treasurers, it's very nice that you say we're not, we don't, we're not responsible, but we don't want to keep it. It's a, we, you know, it doesn't belong to us. So that's very fun, interesting, that phrase. I don't know how often that occurs in Chazal. Since you're being stringent on yourselves, you shouldn't use it for the temple. Don't, you know, it doesn't sound, oh, I'll give it to Tzedakah. That's, uh, I did this thing wrong, I'll give it to Tzedakah. It's not about Tzedakah, it's about giving it back to the people. So you're not obligated, but if you want to give it back to the people, find a way to give back to the people, not to give it to the base HaMikdash. Titania, we turn to Brisa. Gezel, but any yodei lemi gazal. Nobody's saying they stole here, but this is being used as the model. If somebody stole and he doesn't know who he stole from, don't say, "Oh, I'll just give it back to Tzedakah." What are you? Tzedakah isn't the person you stole from. So Yasem Bechzarchei Rabbit. You should use the money for communal goods, communal purposes. So ultimately, you'll be benefiting some of the people that you took it from. My nihu. What is that? Amar Avchista. You dig wells. Everybody needs good water wells. So use the money towards the digging of wells. Okay, so that's what they said. You should give this money to some communal purpose and don't give it towards the base on Mikdash. If you're feeling guilty about it, then do something more appropriate with it. Though, if you had a question before. Sure, two short things. One is it's really common um, when you go like in a shuk, when you buy something in bulk, the guy measures it out for you yeah. and he takes a little extra scoop and he throws it in. Because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, is that the phrase of Benot Yisrael, the Chmir right. similar, right? In other words, right, so that is Hechmartem al-Atzmachem and Hechmir al-Atzmam, right, comes, does come up. Thank you, yes, it does come up there as well, correct. Okay. Um, so now the Gemara goes on. Adrei Rav Chizda Ukva. So Rav Chizda took Rav Ukva, the Darash, and he expounded, meaning he presumably used Rav Ukva as his loudspeaker, and he expounded. Now we're back to Yant of Concerns. Measuring. So the same way you can't measure um, in general on shops in Yantav, and certainly there's even more problems when you're borrowing it from a friend because then it's more like transaction. So now we're going to talk about you measuring out 
your dog food or your food for your animal. Is that also a problem of measuring? He says, yes, it is. You're still measuring. So again, remember, two problems of measuring. One is in a transactionary context where it's more problematic um, and the other is to do it even by yourself and there's a, a prohibition of medida because it relates to business even between you and yourself. So don't measure out an exact amount of barley and give it to your animal. But what you can do is you can scoop out a, you know, a kav or two kavs and give it. So what's the So what's the difference? So Rashi basically says the difference here is um, that um, that the question is is that are you basically you know it's one thing that you use a measuring vessel and then you pour into something else like this is the box I'm going to give my animal to and I scoop out a particular amount and I pour into it then I'm like measuring using this to measure right because then I'm using it to measure and then I'm putting it in the container that I'm going to give to my animal but if you scoop out it's sort of like using the cup and going and saying can you fill this up for me like we had before Right? If you use the thing itself to convey this thing to the animal and to present it to the animal and you're scooping out with the thing itself and you're not pouring it into something else, that would be okay. All right? Um, so let's take a look. Um, a baker, so now it's fascinating. Some people would actually do give an allowance to measure because anybody who knows, you know, cooking is a much more inexact um, type of a practice than baking. Baking the measurements have to be extremely precise. And also, I was just, you know, they want you to use weights and not volume because weighing, weighing things is much more precise. So if you have a baker, they actually allowed him to measure out the spices. Today, Shalom Yaktiach Tavshila. In order that his, uh, now it's funny though, because it says Kedera and Tavshila, which has to do more with a uh, stew than it has to do with a Nachtum, however, is a baker. So I don't exactly get, and Tavlin is more that used for a stew. But anyway, somebody that is a professional cook, they did allow a certain amount of measuring of the spices, which raises a question. So does that mean if I'm making something at home on Yantiv, I can measure out a teaspoon, a tablespoon? Is that part of the Isramidid or not part? Who falls into the category here of Nachtom? Not very clear. From here it sounds like it's only in a professional context. Okay, Rashi says, Mevasho Kederos Nami Kari Nachtom. Nachtom is not only a baker, it's even somebody that's making it, but it still sounds that somebody is in a professional context. So not exactly clear what the degree of allowance is. That a woman can measure the exact amount of flour on Yantav that she's using to make her dough so that when she separates out challah, she separates out a generous amount. If she doesn't know exactly how much flour she has, she'll be a little bit more stingy. If she knows exact, then she'll, she, she won't like play it safe and she'll give the appropriate amount. Shmuel says, I'm sorry, that's not measuring for the sake of the food directly. That's measuring for the sake of challah, of separating challah, and I'm not going to allow you to measure for that purpose. The Hatana de Shmuel Mutter, one minute, how could Shmuel say it's forbidden? So there's a bright apart from the Yeshiva of Shmuel that says it's permissible. So Amar Bai, Hashadamar Shmuel Asr, Shmuel himself says forbidden. Vitana de Beishmuel Mutter, but the Brita from the house of Shmuel says it's, it's permissible to measure out the exact amount of flour to separate challah. Shmuel is telling us the bottom line halacha, not necessarily the theoretical halacha. And Rashi says here it's another example of halacha the in Morin came. That in theory the halacha is that it's mutter to measure out flour for the sake of knowing exactly how to separate challah. But in practice, Shmuel would prefer that people not do it. 
Okay, one of these other differences between the theoretical halacha and the practical halacha. And then there's a whole question, how do we pass them? Do we pass them like Shmuel? Do we pass them like Rav? Are you allowed to measure out flour? And I should say, Tosos has an interesting discussion, because Tosos says, we don't separate now an exa- like a certain amount of flour to give to the Kohen. We separate out, it's only symbolic, and we burn it. So there shouldn't be an allowance to know exactly how much, because it's not going to affect the size that you separate out. Except, says Tosos, we do have to know how much flour we're using. Why do we have to know how much flour you are using for a challah purpose? Not to determine how much challah to separate, but determine whether whether you need to separate challah and say, okay, we'll just separate with the subject, but do I make a bracha or not? So Tosus has a discussion, can you measure the exact amount of flour so that you'll know whether or not you have to make a bracha rather than not making a bracha because you're playing it safe. And in the end he says, no, just be either overly generous so you have no doubt that you're obligated with the bracha or make it clearly in smaller quantities so you have no doubt that you're exempt. But he has a similar question about measuring flour to determine whether you can make a bracha. But the more, the bigger question I would say for us is the case of the, of the cook, of, of, the, of the chef and are we allowed to like use tablespoons and teaspoons on you know on yontiv in our own cooking? Yeah, so, yes. So what was the case of means like spoil, but it could mean burn, but it doesn't literally mean burn. It means like overspice, so it's inedible. Okay, so it means ruin. Oh, okay, okay. ruin. ruin. Okay, to make it too spicy. Yeah, exactly. Okay, tanur banan. Our rabbi taught ain shonin kemach biyomtov. You cannot double sift flour on yontiv. If it's already been sifted, you can't sift it again. Now, again, sifting is normally one of those things that goes, takes place out in the field or in the pre-processing stage. But maybe, you know, some people, even after they bring flour home, they want to sift it again to make it extra pure. So maybe it's allowed because it's more like this kitchen-based type of a thing. So the Gemara says it's not allowed. Mishum Rebbe, Papi's Rebbe, Huda Ben Bateir Amru, shown him, yes, you can re-sift your flour on Yontif. Veshavim, and everybody agrees, Shinafel, Tochad, Svor, Okislam, if it actually became impure, like a rock or a, or a little uh, you know a piece of wood fell into it a chip of wood she's showing him that then you could resist it okay Tani Tana come into Ravina so Tana in the presence of Ravina and shown him Kenach Biyomtov you cannot uh, resist your flower but if a little piece of wood or a rock fell into it then don't resist it but pick it out with your hands I'm away, he said back to him, Koshkin to Usr. No, that makes it worse if you pick it out with your hand. Davilate to Borer. That's more like a clear act of Borer. Now, of course, you would say sifting isn't an act of Borer. I mean, sifting, the whole point is to separate it out. So Rashi is, tries to figure that out, and Rashi says um, um, that he says visually, when you sift, Right, if you ever see somebody, I mean, some people in their kitchen re-sift the flour, it's not clear that anything is being separated. Once it's already sifted flour, you know, it's, why is this person doing it? I don't know, maybe it loosens it up or something, but there's not a, there's not, it aerates it. There's not like a clear thing that's being bad that's being taken out. But if you go specifically with your hand and pull it out, that's more that it's an act of borer. Now again, borer in certain contexts is allowed in Yantav, you know, in a particular kitchen type of a context, and we had a whole mission before, Beit Shammai and Beit Hillel. So this gets to the issue about is this like an uvda the chol concern or Rashi here says it's a malacha concern but again why is it a malacha you know what exactly defines when these things are considered part of preparing food and when does it define them as preparatory which are not allowed so here the Gemara says um, that in some cases when it is necessary you can do it but maybe not with your hand that makes it too obvious that you are doing bow rare. 
Darish Rabba Bar Rav Huna Zuti Apitcha Dinar Das Rabba by the uh, the son of the younger Rav Huna the small Rav Huna uh, expounded by the uh, by the opening of Narda like the gates of Narda whatever public square Shonim Kemach Biyantav you can resift flour on Yantav Amalu Rav Nachman Rav Nachman said to him Puku Amule La Abba Go tell Abba meaning my friend there Shikilu Tivosayich Vashadi Achaziri so take all the t- take your take all of this very nice favor you did for us and throw it on the thorns meaning you know you think you're being very you're wonderful you're coming to the town and you're telling everybody you can resist your flower who needs you go look around and see how many sisters are circulating around Narda everybody knows that everybody resists their flower on Yantav nobody needed your big chiddish that you come to tell us this okay so here not only before it said it's Aser not only is it saying Mutter here it's saying it's like patently obvious that it's Mutter okay the Vasayud Rav Yosef Rav Yosef's wife now Kimcha Agava de Mahulta she resifted flour on Yantav but she did it with a Shinoi she used the back of the sister not the, not the normal way Amr La, so he said to her, Chazi, he says, it's all very nice you're being from, but pay attention to Anna Rifta Mal Inan. I'd like to have nice bread. So meaning, it's very nice you're trying to be from. Do it the normal way. I prefer that, you know, I want my bread to be well shifted. Yeah, that is a problem. I know. And the previous also has been a little mean. Okay. So Rav Ashi's wife sifted flour on the back of the table, which maybe means that rather than into a normal vessel, it would not, not that she used that as her sister, but that's what she used to catch the flour. Also doing some type of a shinoi. Amar Rav Ashi, so Rav Ashi said, Hadi Dan, um, bar, that, that of us, meaning my wife, Barte de Rami Barchama is the daughter of Rami Barchama. Rami Barchama Mara de Uvdave. And Mari Barchama was very from. The Elav de Chadia Mibeinar Shalohaviyavdin. If she hadn't seen this from the woman's house, meaning her mother's house, like this is the mimetic tradition, right? She would not have been doing it now that she's married to me. So here it ends by giving weight and legitimacy to saying we don't necessarily sift flour, re-sift flour in the normal way. So once again, bringing up this question of what types of things are allowed for food if there are processes that normally take place you know outside of the kitchen last Mishnah end of, let's end the para you can go to a storekeeper that you are familiar with the reason it has to be familiar with is that he'll trust you to pay you up after Yantav uh, so before we were talking about the butcher your friend now we're talking about the storekeeper the Omerlo and you say to him tamely basing that goes in Biminion give me like a dozen eggs give me like 50 nuts Okay, and you can mention the number of nuts and the number of eggs. Why? Because you don't only use number, you know, when you are doing transactions. You know, you'll say, I need three eggs for my, you know, for this, uh, for the, you know, for this uh, cake that I'm making. You know, I need, I don't know if you'd say 50 nuts, but whatever. But giving a number is like, can, is not necessarily make it more like a transaction. You know, as opposed to weighing something and giving a weight to something or giving like a cup's worth or three cups worth or whatever, that makes it more transactionary. This, not so much so it can look more like you're just borrowing it or he's giving it to you it doesn't necessarily look as much of a transaction let's take a look so you can go to a shepherd that you're familiar with you know can you give me a sheep or a goat and you say give but obviously you're going to pay him back okay but that's allowed you're not it, it's not transactionary because again of the language that you're using 
the um Eitzel Tabacha Ragulet. So you go to a butcher you're familiar with. Vomalotini Kaf Achat O Yerech Achat. Give me like one, you know, a leg, or give me a thigh. Um, and again, you mention a piece, but you don't mention a weight, and you certainly don't mention money. Eitzel Patam Ragulet Slow, and you can go to a fattener, meaning somebody who fattens up birds. The Omelo and say, "Tini Torechado Gozelecha, give me a pigeon or give me a dove." Okay, and you just mention the number of objects, but not a size, not a weight. Eitzel Nachtam Ragulet Slow, and by now he does mean a baker. And you say, "The Omelo Tini Kikarechad, I'd like a, a loaf of bread, five loaves of bread, or gluskachas, or a cake." But you don't weigh it, and you don't you don't talk about money. The Eitzel Chenvoya Ragulet Slow, a storekeeper. The Omelo, and you say, "Tini Esrim Basin, give me twenty eggs, or Chamisha goes in fifteen ups, a Sora of Farsikin, ten. What's enough Farsik? Wins." Peaches? Our forsake is in modern Hebrew of peaches. Okay, the Chamisha Rimonim and five pomegranates. The Esrog Echad, fascinating what this reveals about how people would use and the quantities people would do. One Esrog. <laughs> so they would use Esrogim during, I mean, is it, is it, is it Sukkot? Does the storekeeper have Esrogim? Is that why we're talking about it? It is a Yantav. Anyway, that you can mention all these things. Don't just mention the exact weight. Um, that's the way Rashi interprets this. Reb Shimon Alezer Omer Vatshul Yaskin Lo Skum Nekach. Don't mention the exact the exact cost of it. So don't talk about weights and costs, but you can talk about numbers, and that does not look transactionary. Okay. Hadun Alachin Sardin, and with.